Revelation 10 and 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Thank you to Wendy this morning for reading that as we uh, started the service. I want to thank, um, I, number one, thank to Clayton, who uh, did such a great job last week. Um, do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that, that your prayers rise like incense before the throne of God? You know, over the last two years, I have shared a couple of times about the fact that things have been kind of hard for me in uh, our business, and it's been a kind of a tough stretch the last couple of years. Now, you need to understand that I, I am in this business because God called me to it in 1994, made it very clear to me. And the word the Lord gave me was, take this job, stick with it, you will be blessed. That's the word he gave me. And the last couple of years have been really hard, and I want to thank many of you have reached out and just said, hey, ask me how it's going, and saying that you're praying for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I thought this morning that I would give you a little bit of an update as we start the message this morning. Um, it, it's continued to be tough. In fact, I wanted to quit, um, quite honestly. In fact, uh, just this last spring, I came up for prayer one morning here, and because I, I really did, I wanted to quit. I wanted to run away. And so I asked, Tiffany Benzie was up that morning, I asked her to pray, and, and Tab was there, and they were praying over me. And this is so cool. So Tiffany is praying, she's got her hand on my heart, and all of a sudden she just stops praying. And there's this long, like in the middle of her prayer, she just stops praying. And she's, there's this long pause, and then she said, she goes, I see you as, God just gave me this vision of you as a little boy. And it's like that first day of school. And you know how your parents walk you to school on that first day of school, and how you're scared and you're nervous to get there, and, and yet you know it's the place you're supposed to be? She goes, I feel God the Father just saying, take my hand. I will lead you where you need to go, and you know where I'm leading you is where you need to go. Well, I immediately started to ball because what Tiffany didn't know was that in kindergarten, on my first day of school, I ran away. I got up in the middle of show and tell, and I ran out that door, and I ran down the street, and I ran all the way home. And my mother had to take me by the hand and drag me back to school. And, and how could, I mean, all right, all right, God. Yep, you're still trying to teach me the same lesson you were trying to teach me when I was five, okay? Amazing. So we've been sticking with it. Um, you also know that uh, the work, the consulting work that I've done with Kevin and with the teaching team here over the last five years, Kevin told me late last year it was going to be coming to an end and June 30th of this year. Cool. Um, and then the last spring, the other thing, one of the things that Wendy and I have been praying about uh, over the last several years is we're like, as we're praying for business and we're praying for clients, we've been praying, God, if, if you could... If you could give us a client in Columbia, South Carolina, where our daughter Madison lives, 
that would be awesome. Your will be done, <laughs> but you say we don't have because we don't ask, so we're asking. So this spring, we're, uh, I get a phone call from a client who I had worked with 20 years ago, have not heard from him 20 years, and he'd gone on and done other things, I'm like, out of the blue. Like, Andy, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, I remember what you did. He used to work for the semi-truck division of Volvo, and he said, I remember the work that your team did with our team back then, and it was transformational to our team. I've never forgotten it, and I have sworn to myself ever since then that if I'm ever in a position to bring you in and work with the company that I'm working with, that I was going to do that. And I, he was just made the, uh, the CMO, Chief Marketing and Revenue Officer, for his company, and he said, so I'd like to bring you in. Okay? Great. Awesome. Um, where's the company located? Columbia, South Carolina project started on July 1st. God knows the plan. God has it under control. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. So as we prayerfully come together and go through <laughs> this book of Revelation, we need to keep praying for our world. We need to keep praying for the nations. We need to keep praying for our community. We need to keep praying God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today, as we get into Revelation, um, our sermon in the sentence is this. You got that up there? And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Today's two chapters are about witness. And if you're like me, I was raised in, a, in the time where witnessing meant you took these little tracks, like the four spiritual laws, and you went out to the beach or some public place and started saying, hey, if you die today, do you know where you'd go? If you got hit by a Mack truck, and it was always a Mack truck, if you got hit by a Mack truck, do you know whether you'd go to heaven or hell? Well, let me tell you these four spiritual laws. You go through that. And, and not, not that God didn't use that, because I believe, I'm sure that he did. But as I've gone on in my spiritual life and in my spiritual journey, I've learned that that's not really what God meant by being a witness. His idea of witness is it's a little bit more holistic than that. So we're going to learn a little bit about that as we get in to Revelations chapters 10 and 11. So first I want to start back on, uh, in chapter 9, the, the end of that. Verse 20 says, the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues. So as Clayton took us through the last two chapters, we had all of these plagues, which mirrored the plagues of Egypt, right? So Here's what we understand. What we are reading in Revelation goes, it layers everything that has come before it in the story. So why did God send the plagues on Egypt? 
trying to change Pharaoh's heart, right? He wanted to change Pharaoh's heart. All, all you have to do, Pharaoh, is say, let my, is let my people go. And he would say, yes, but he didn't really change his heart. And so then the next plague came, and the next plague came, and the next plague came. And every time Pharaoh would go, okay, I will. But then he would renege. And so the plagues of Egypt were trying to change the hearts of the people. So the plagues in Revelation, it is no different. Uh, let's go to slide uh, number 11, please. So I'm going to go back to the four levels, and let's remember the paradigm here. The way God wants it to work is this, that Christ came from level four down to level one. He changes my heart. Now, here on level one, in me and my relationship with God, my life and my heart are changed. I repent for my sin. I turn to God. I start following and becoming a disciple of Jesus. And in doing that, everyone in my circles of influence, my family and my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers, they see something different in me. They see that I treat people with love and kindness and gentleness and patience and faithfulness. And they see in me a life transformed. And that, in turn, hopefully helps some of them Say, whatever you got, Tom, I want to, be, I want to be, have that too. So now the community is changing because, because individuals whose lives have been changed, the whole community changes. And then what happens is on level three, when we get to the kingdoms of this world, all of these disciples of Jesus start turning things upside down and start making a difference in this world. That's the paradigm that Christ has. But the paradigm of this world is level three, power down to control individuals. We want power so that we can make people underneath our authority do what we want them to do. Right, so think about those two paradigms. Because what God has been trying to do all along is I want, patiently, I want you to respond to my love. I want you to respond to my kindness. But if you don't respond to my kindness, at some point, at some point, the measure of sin, the wrath of those who refuse to believe, the wrath has to be poured out. He's trying, he's waiting, patient, doesn't want anybody to perish, the Bible says. So, go to slide 12, if you will. So, yes, so in Revelation, we're now coming to the climax of the great story where the kings of this world, the kingdoms, the nations are basically saying, we will not do anything what you want us to do, God. We, we don't believe in you, we don't, we, we hate, we're, we will not submit, we are gonna go our own way. And God is finally getting to the point where the patience runs out, where the wrath must be poured out on those who refuse to receive. Now, let me give you an example of this. I was um, in, in the book of Joshua, there's a, group of people called the Amorites. 
And God tells Joshua um, to wipe out the Amorites, which is just really weird. It's hard for us to understand that. But the Amorite people were very anti-God. They were, they believed in child sacrifice. In fact, they believed that their God um, believed in killing the firstborn child, sacrificing them to their God. So the way it was that there would be a statue of the God um, with hands out, and the, basically the inside of the God was the furnace. So they would get this furnace going uh, as hot as it could be, and then what happened is made from stone or whatever it was made from, the hands of the statue of the idol were, um, they became like an oven, I mean like, like a hot surface oven. And so the people would bring their firstborn child and they would lay the baby on this red hot hands. And of course the baby would scream. And the priests of Baal would call that the smile of Baal when the baby screamed. And then the baby would roll down the arms of the idol into the furnace. And archeology span has excavated tens of thousands of babies that were sacrificed. Wow. So if you go back to Genesis in the time of Jacob, God says to Jacob, in four generations, you're going to be brought back to this place because the sins of the Amorites have not reached their full measure. In other words, I'm waiting for the Amorites to repent. 450 years later, four generations later, Joshua comes along. You think about how many babies were sacrificed, how many screams. How long, God? How long until you do something about this? And one of the things that I see as I read the whole great story is that God is a God of patience, love, kindness, and he is waiting for the nations. He is waiting for people to turn to him. But at some point, the sin of the Amorites came to their full measure. And it was time for wrath. And what we see in the book of Revelation is that the sins of humanity finally come to a place where they need to be dealt with. It's the climax of the entire story. So let's go. So for the rest of mankind, 20, verse 20 of chapter 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop 
worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, of stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, and their sexual immorality or their thefts. So we've gone through the sixth, sixth trumpets. Now we're getting ready for the seventh. And as, as Clayton shared last week, it's like the Olympics. Blow that trumpet and it's like the contest between God and Satan, between good and evil. What we're, we're seeing in these plagues is God continues to try and, I want people to repent, I want people to repent, I want people to repent. And now it's like they would not repent. So we're getting ready for the seventh trumpet. And I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like a sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land. So in other words, that's expansive. Sea and land, the whole thing. And then when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Here's one of the things that's really hard sometimes as a follower of Christ, is that God keeps some things as a mystery. Doesn't he? God, I'd just love for you to tell me what the grand plan is for work, for why we're at this point. I'd love to know the grand plan, especially over the last couple of years, because it really would have helped me but God said, you know, there's some mystery to this, Tom, and the other thing is that you have to have faith. You have to trust me. And there's some things that, even with Jesus, he said, nobody, only the Father knows the day and the hour when these things are gonna happen. There's always some mystery to how this is all gonna play out. So then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever ever who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it said there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. In other words, that this day of judgment, this day of days, this day of reckoning is a real place. And on that day, the mysteries will be revealed. So then he says, go and take, uh, heaven spoke to me once more, go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll and he said, take it and eat. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told this, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So what is really being unpacked here is John is being told, John, you are my prophet. Take this little scroll. <laughs> Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? On every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And this word is sweet. But the truth of the word is sometimes sour, especially for those for whom the truth is not a good thing. 
if they continue to refuse to repent. So he's talking, and then he references all of the prophets. So as we go through the whole book, here's what I love. The whole thing is layered from beginning to end. So um, let's just keep going. It'll unpack itself. All right. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Don't measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. So in other words, the measuring of the temple, think of it as God's people. And he's basically saying, I am going to protect my people. And those who have repented, those who have come to me, there is protection. But the outer court, the Gentiles, the non-believers, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Another one, we learned about that, that, that back in the opening chapters, the lampstands were symbols of the Holy Spirit and the angels of the churches. So what it's saying is these two witnesses, these two prophets are going to be operating out of the power of God, the tree and the lampstand. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Now, this is what's interesting. Because if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, the prophet Elijah was prophesying for God. And when some people uh, mocked him, fire came down from heaven and consumed his enemies. So this reference goes right back to Elijah. You remember what happened to Elijah? Yeah, same thing for my two witnesses. Uh, this prophet's gonna proclaim my word. So think of one as Elijah, okay? And they have, I lost my place here. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Elijah said it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and guess what? There was a famine in the land. Go back to the, the prophets of Baal. That's exactly what happened in the story of Elijah. So now we have Elijah. It's the same thing. This is all referring back. What was is comes again. The things that are going to happen in the future have already happened in the past. We keep cycling through again and again and again, like Clayton shared last week. They have the power um, to processing and they have the power to turn waters into blood. Who turned the water into blood? Help me out, come on. God. God did, good Mike. Moses. So the second prophet is Moses. And so we have these references to both Ezekiel and Moses. Now, time out. Go back to the Gospels, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up the mountain. Jesus is transformed into his glorious Christ self. They see him, and two people emerge, one on either side, Moses and Elijah. 
So there's, do you see it? <laughs> Moses and Elijah, his prophets of the Old Testament, show up on the Mount Transfiguration. Now they're showing up in the, old, uh, in the end times. His people, these references, it all connects together. Now when they have finished their testimony, they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. All right, what does that mean? Okay. God's base language is metaphor, and metaphors are layered with meaning. Let's go back to slide 12. This whole thing in Revelation is about the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the nations, the kingdoms of this world, the, the nations. So as God is trying to convince the nations to repent, they fight against the, the two witnesses, the kingdom of God, God's messengers. And if we go back to Sodom, what happened? You have all of these people who had given themselves over to their lustful desires, to their sensual appetites. They cared nothing for what was right. They didn't, cared nothing for the, the things of God. They did horrendous, um, immoral things. And what did God do? He sent fire, hailstorm. And then we have Egypt. And we have Egypt, who's the first empire really that we see in conflict with God's people. And God delivers his people from empire. So when he's saying this, it is both Sodom and Egypt and the place where the Lord was crucified, Jerusalem. So they all represent the same thing. I remember I was in Jerusalem in 2003 during the second uh, infatata and and it, very, I, hardly any tourists there because of the rockets and the, the, the fighting that was going on. And I remember my guide, George, um, who we were standing in Jerusalem and my colleagues were doing something and it was just me and George standing there. And George lives in Nazareth. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. Good job. Um, and he, he said, you know, he said, very softly, he said, I don't like Jerusalem. And I said, why, George? And he said, it's a dark place. It's a dark place. Jerusalem is the number one hotspot on the globe because of the tension that's constantly there. It's a dark place. To where Jesus was crucified. Jerusalem is where the kingdoms of this world, the religious kingdom <laughs> and the empire kingdom of Rome, together they crucified God. It represents the conflict between empire and the kingdom of God. The beast comes up, attacks them, for three and a half days, people from every people and tribe and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Is it just me, or is it ironic, everything that's happening 
right now in Israel in light of what we're reading? How many bodies have we seen put on social media to gloat over the death? This stuff is real. But then after three and a half days, the breath of life comes from God, entered them. And they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come on up here. <laughs> and what happened to Elijah? If you read the Elijah story, at the end of Elijah's life, this chariot uh, comes down from heaven. He gets on the chariot and is taken up into heaven. So again, it's layered, same thing. What's ha- what going to happen has already happened. It all comes together. And then there was an hour, a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in an earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God. Now, what's interesting is they didn't repent. It doesn't say they repented. It says they recognized that the earthquake and what had just happened was the power of God, not the power of the nations. The, third, the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel now sounds his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones fall before God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now, this is what's really interesting. Can we go back to slide 11 real quick? I talked about the God's, God's way is the let's change the individual and then through love and kindness, let's transform the world. M. Scott Peck wrote a book a number of years ago called The People of the Lie. And he examines, he's a, he's a marriage and family therapist, psychologist, and he did a, this book, is a, his study on evil, on the nature of evil. Amazing book. And one of the things that I, I've never forgotten from reading that book. As he worked with patients and came in face of what he defined as evil, he said he learned that those who have given themselves over to evil, evil responds to nothing but force. Isn't that interesting? Evil, pure evil, responds to nothing but force. You have to confront it. And so as we get to the end here, God has patiently tried to work this paradigm. But now in the end, what does he do? God comes with force. He has waited as long as he can wait. And now the day has come. God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So we're getting to this point of climax. So what does this mean for us today? You will be my witnesses. Every one of us is a disciple of Christ. 
are to be witnesses of Christ. So let's go to, if we could, um, slide six. In Revelation, a witness accepts the invitation to imitate Jesus. As a witness, I am called to imitate Jesus in what I say, in what I do, how I live my life, how I go about my business. Willingly embraces suffering. Whoo, ready for that? That's not what you're gonna hear from a lot of the name it and claim it prosperity preachers. But Jesus said, hey, don't, don't worry about somebody that can kill your body but can't touch your soul. Translation, some of you are going to die because you follow me. So am I ready to suffer for Christ? And number three, he trusts in the spiritual protection and eternal vindication. In other words, if I lose my life, if I suffer because of my faith and because of the gospel, because I am standing for Christ and standing for his truth, guess what? In the long run, I win. Because number one, I believe that God will protect me. It's like the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to worship me or I throw you in the fire. And they say, look, Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw us in the fire. We believe that God will protect us. But even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down to you. We'll die in that furnace rather than bow down to you. And so God, so he throws them in the furnace and all of a sudden he looks in and now there's four instead of three. And they're just standing there having a conversation, protected from the fire. Come on out. Yes. Even if, I believe that God will protect me, but even if he doesn't, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I am gonna stand for his truth. I'm gonna continue to be a witness. Okay? Next slide. We've got two choices as a, as a witness for Christ. Either to remain faithful to Christ and obedient to him or remain compromised and disobedient to him. So the options for a witness, slide eight. I need to align my speech and actions with Jesus. I need to forgive repeatedly. I need to pray. I need to choose to be generous. What did Clayton say last week? Everybody, every day. That's, that's who I'm a witness to. Everybody, every day. Every person I come in contact with, I'm a witness. I was in South Carolina with our client earlier this week and a big sales conference and I got to do a presentation there. It was a lot of fun. We're uh, at lunchtime was with um, all these people that I didn't know and one, uh, one sitting next to me, her name was Inga and she was just very quiet, I could tell. And there's just something about her, I don't know. Just, I thought, interesting person. But she was very quiet and very soft-spoken. So that night, big blowout thing where they had a bowling alley and everyone's eating and drinking and just sitting there. And it happened that Inga uh, was standing by. And so I just said, you know, Inga, tell me about your family. 
oh, I've got two kids, 14 and nine, girl 14, boy nine. And I said, really? I said, oh, you're in the middle of it, aren't you? She said, yeah, I am. I said, how are you doing it? How are you handling smartphones with your daughter, with your 14-year-old daughter? Oh, man, is that hard. So we started talking about parenting. We started talking about it. I kept asking her questions. And, and pretty soon, the further we got in conversation and the more we started talking, you get to the point where you start talking about values. <laughs> and you start talking about what you believe is right and wrong. Yeah. And then Bruno from Madrid, Spain. And Bruno's this young man, and we were just talking about his job and how he come to the United States for his job. And, and I asked, simply asked a question. I said, Bruno, what are you passionate about? What really motivates you? You know, to do what? What is it that you want to do that you're passionate about? And he goes, I don't know. Never really thought about it. I said, well, okay. He goes, what about you? What are you passionate about? I said, do you really want to know? <laughs> he said, yeah, I do. So Bruno got to hear about Jesus Christ. Guys, it's not that hard. Every person, every day, how can I be a witness through my kindness, through my conversation, through how I conduct myself, how I relate to others, how I go about my business. That's what we're called to do. Because until we get to this point in history, the paradigm of one, two, three is still in effect. And as we live in a world that can, is moving away, Christianity is hated. In academia today, Christianity is seen as the source of all of our, our global ills. It's true. In academia, they say it would be better off if there were no religions, which in itself is a religion, which is kind of interesting. But, so, as we plot the course for us, this local gathering, the real question is, am I willing to be a witness Am I willing to suffer? Am I willing to be generous and forgiving and gracious with everyone I meet every day of my life? Ask the worship team to come up. We're gonna end with a couple of songs. Uh, opportunity to come up and take communion. And I believe we'll have some prayer team members over here if you need prayer. As we worship, as we pray, the incense wafts up to the throne room of God. Uh, I just want to remind you that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. Let's stand to worship. <laughs>